So last week we talked oysters, horror movies that Anil watched when he was far too young to be exposed to those types of things, which may lend an understanding as to how he turned out to be the kind of writer that he is today. Wonderful influences, I'm sure. And growing up in a Guyanese household while living in suburban Ontario. In today's episode, we're going to delve a little bit further into craft. But before we do that, let's see what you thought about last week's episode. Hey, I just want to say you guys did a fabulous job. It was really, really good. It was a natural, easy uh, conversation. I think probably for two people who knew a long time, um, you guys were amazed how easy and how quick that time went. At least it sounded that way. Um, I'm Team Abby on the Oysters 100%. I'm Team Anil on Ottawa being pretty awesome. Um, trying to think what else. There was a lot in there. Um, no, it was just it was really, really good. Um, I want to go read that uh, published one that Anil had because I think that sounds super interesting. And uh, I want to hear the story. So uh, awesome job. Thoroughly enjoyed it. We'd love to hear from more of you. If you have comments for myself or for Anil, please feel free to click the link in the podcast episode description and record us a message. We'll listen to it. And just like Chris, you might end up in a future episode. Thank you for joining me for part two of my chat with the Anil Kamal. In this episode, we talk about Anil's ideal writing life, what it would be like to work inside Anil's writing room, where he gets his inspiration and motivation from, and what to do with a fancy notebook. So without further ado, I present to you part two of my chat with the Anil Kamal. If you had an alter ego with the power to live your ideal life, would you change your name? Where would you live? What would you do for a living? Oh my goodness. So it's a three-parter. It is a three-parter. Would I change my name? What would I do? What was the th- the second one? Where would you live? Where would I live? Yeah, I would change my name. To what? To what? Have you that given that any thought? If you were going to have a stage name or a pseudonym? I mean... Stan Smith! <laughs> there we go. I don't know what my name would be. I would definitely change it so I could be, you know, a different person. Uh, I don't have the name for you right now. If I would live somewhere, I've always had this fantasy that goes and comes of living in New York City. So I'd probably move there at least for a bit to see what it's like. What would I do there? What would I do there? If you're living your ideal life. What's your ideal career? Well, everybody would love to, especially people like you and I who write. We have this fantasy of what a writer does and they sit in a cafe in New York City or in Central Park and they have their laptop out and they, they're just you know writing and go for walks in the park and just be inspired with other writers. So that fantasy, because that's definitely a fantasy. I'm sure writers in in Manhattan, New York, do not do that every day. But it it would be nice. It would be nice to just be able to do that. 
When I think about what my writing life would look like, mm. the city does not come into play at all. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Remember um, last year, or I guess it wouldn't be last year. Wow. It had been 2019. 2019. Well, 2020 really doesn't count. When I showed you that cabin in the woods in rural Nova Scotia. Yes. That quiet solitude. Mm-hmm. Maybe not for the entire year, but a good stretch of time where I could just be by myself. Right. To write. Or, you know, have a small commune of, of folks around where we can go off into the woods and hopefully mm. all come back in one piece, sit around the fire mm. and swap stories, etc. The older I get, the quieter I think I, I want my you. life to get. Yeah. How awful is that? That this not is the second time that we've said the older I get. Yeah. It's a fact of life. It's, it is a fact of life. You're right about that. Here's an interesting question. Do you have a notebook by your bedside to make notes of funny, scary, inspirational things that come to you in the middle of the night? That's the broad brush question. Narrowing it down, do you carry a notebook with you at all times in case inspiration strikes? And then bringing it down a little bit further, what is the strangest thing upon which you have jotted an idea, lyric, or poem on? Hmm. I'm one of those rare um, written creators. I think that's a nice way to put it, to encompass all of us, that does not have a notebook by their bed. I think, and probably wrongly so, that my mind is so amazing that I'll always remember it, And but I never do. So maybe I should do that. But then I, I also fall into that trap that a lot of other writers do, wherein we're, we don't want to write in a notebook because the notebook's so pretty, <laughs> which is the yeah. dumbest thing ever because yeah. I have such beautiful empty notebooks and I don't know what I'm saving them for. So maybe this podcast will motivate me to pull one of them out and put them on my bedside table. But uh, no, sometimes I use the, the notes function in the phone, the iPhone. Uh, the strangest place that I've written something is probably on the back of a napkin in a restaurant nothing crazy did the idea just come to you and you were frantically looking for something to write on and you decided yeah and it's always there's always napkins right what are you going to do you're going to write on a napkin with a pen or the notes function in the phone is actually really really nice too do you go back to that i find anytime i put notes in my phone yeah they're gone forever oh of course I only recently, and I think this is telling of my age too, that uh, I didn't realize that you can go into the notes function and instead of going down and down to see what you've written, you can do the search and for a keyword. That's how bad I'm telling on myself, but because uh, I use the notes fun- right now. Yeah. I was like, really? <laughs> I use the notes function to do grocery lists and ideas are going there as well. So, but I really like the idea of a notebook. I think also for me, it's that, oh, I don't want to mess up a notebook with, because then it's, it's there permanently, but let it be there permanently. The first time I got excited about actually writing in a notebook was when I first started pitching a saffron a few years ago. And because it was gaining such momentum, I got so excited and it's, un- it's so sad and it's telling of myself and where I was in my life that I was like, now I get to write in a notebook. So I went to Papyrus Papyrus and I found this gorgeous notebook and I wrote in it and it felt really good. I don't know why I don't allow myself to keep doing that. I don't know why I needed Saffron to go where it went to do that. So I think let this be a lesson to everybody, write in your notebooks and make it messy. Do like, I know of so many writers that just 
depend on those notes in their notebooks because you never know when ideas are going to strike you. And if you're not a person who writes in a notebook, I'm sure there are apps in your phone that are better than notes. I'll have to Google them at one point, but yeah. Do you use the voice note function? I've, I've only used it a couple of times when I'm practicing um, pitches for, for meetings. For ideas, I have not. And I'm, that's a really good idea. But if you ever want to record yourself doing a pitch or whatever, I strongly recommend voice memos because it's so interesting to hear yourself. And I know a lot of us don't like the sound of our voice, but if you put that aside and you listen to yourself speak, at least you get to hear the practice of what you're going to say before you say it. And then you can see, oh, there's maybe too many ums in there or, uh, oh, I need to cut it down by a, a minute or so or 30 seconds or so. So, but for ideas, it would be tough though, because if you put ideas on a voice memo, you don't get to visual, visually look and be like, oh, I wrote this and this. You'd have to go listen to the whole thing. So I don't know how helpful voice memos are. So I have another question for you. The, I know, come on. <laughs> this is your writing lifestyle. Okay. I know, come on. Do you write to music or do you need silence to write? I need full silence. I don't understand how other people write to music. Really? I don't know if it's because I think for me, the way that I write, and this is going to sound either weird or everybody's going to understand, somebody's speaking to me in my head when mm -hmm. I write. And when the characters come alive, they're actually speaking in my head. So I can't even imagine if I had to listen to them and then transcribe what they're saying and then also have some sort of background my brain doesn't work like that so that is why i need to write in complete silence i found and this is going away from writing but if i'm working at my office job and i'm at the computer sometimes it is nice to have music that doesn't have lyrics in them or like a asmr thing like rain or a fireplace or something but the minute somebody else is speaking it derails me especially for writing so really so vogue could come on and you have to immediately oh no i'll be no i can't, can't. <laughs> <laughs> or you know what maybe if i need to be inspired give get extra inspiration okay and that was going to be my next question but i don't i never do when i get when i get into those zones in my writing where you're basically just writing and you're in that zone where it's just flying out of you like water yeah. I, i'm so in tune with what's happening that i don't need to have that extra distraction but i know other people don't feel that way at all are you one of those people <laughs> i am one of those people okay. i can't I can write inside. It depends on what I'm writing. Mm. If I'm writing a novel, I can't write in silence. Mm -hmm. I need music to play. This is going to sound so stupid, but when I, like I, I write in the morning, I get up typically sitting on my front porch. And the first thing I listen to is the Unbelievable album by EMF, which mm. is absolutely absurd. <laughs> and it doesn't matter what I'm writing in that case, but I have to listen to Unbelievable mm. album. And hopefully they're not like, it didn't come out later that they're super racist or anything, because that would be <laughs> weird. But if I'm writing something really, really emotional, mm -hmm. if I'm writing poetry or letters to, particularly letters to Briar, I'm not listening to music. It's silent. Mm -hmm. I think that has 
to do with what I'm listening to at the time. Like if I'm listening to my head or my heart will determine whether I need the music or not. Mm, interesting. During my nine to five, when I'm sitting here doing work, I need music to play. Mm -hmm. I, I cannot work in silence. Sitting here, both of us in our remote home offices in our homes, home offices in our homes. <laughs> it's <laughs> We're nice. writers. <laughs> We're writers too, right? So do you have that added ins insulation? Well, but... and I think that part really kind of drives home that appreciation for the social aspect, right? Mm -hmm. Like we understand what work looks like when you are on your own mm -hmm. and what work looks like when you are with people and collaborating. But to go a little bit deeper with what you were edging towards when I asked you if Vogue came on and linking to my, to what I had said earlier about listening to EMF, like if you're feeling uninspired, do you go to music to grab that inspiration, that little boost, or like, what do you do? Take a walk in the park or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's, it's all mental. Um, I have to think about something I don't think music will inspire emotion in me that doesn't inspire my writing and I know that sounds really bizarre because so many people use music to inspire how they write but because I think from when I first started writing at a young age I think it's probably how everybody gets imprinted how did you write when you were younger and I didn't listen to music I probably just went and went for a walk or a shower or you know what here's a good one I had my best creative thoughts on the school bus mm. just going to and from school just and because that was before cell phones mm -hmm. so you're just sitting there with your thoughts there's no smartphone mm -hmm. you're sitting there looking out the window I didn't I was not a popular kid so I didn't have you know I wasn't chatting with the other kids mm -hmm. I was looking out the window and everybody knows when you go to school or you go to work there's the bus route's the same so nothing's really inspiring you looking outside. You're looking at the same stuff. It's comforting to see the same stuff over again, but that kind of gives you like a, a white space yes. and then you get to zone out. And that's where you think that's, I remember when I wrote my first, first screenplay way back in the day, that's hidden in a corner somewhere. <laughs> it was during those bus rides that I would think of, of all the things that I needed to write, or I'd be inspired by this scene or this person. And you get your inspiration from looking at like that house, that person standing there, that would be my music. I would see things and it would trigger like an idea and I would go, I would run with it. So I guess that would, that's, was my music to just zone out and see the visual. Yeah. That very thing is why it's so easy to write on the go train. I was just going to ask you, I'm sure you've got experienced the same thing sitting in the go train and looking out the window. I'm sure. Yeah. 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 Like you said, it becomes this white space and you paint it in. Have you had people who didn't believe in your creative journey in your life? How did you find out? How did it impact your work? And what did you do to move forward? That's a good question. And I've been really lucky because in terms of my writing journey, I don't think that there's been one person that has not been super supportive from the minute I said I want to, you know, pursue it further as a education wise uh, to 
writing screenplays, which is so such a difficult business to crack. I don't think there's been one person who said, you know, you cannot do this. So I guess I'm really lucky. And I foiled your question because I've never had that those comments to me. Yeah, everybody's been supportive. That's a fantastic answer. Yeah. And it's wonderful to know that you feel supported like that. Mm-hmm. We all know that the arts, it's a tough nut to crack professionally in terms of getting getting a monetary compensation. Doing it for yourself, doing it knowing that there may not be an instant payoff or what have you, just doing it for yourself and having the people that support you means a lot. But then you have the different facets. So if we talk about the writing world, there's, you know, poetry and novels and nonfiction and you get into screenwriting and film and TV. That which is my genre right now, my avenue. Mm-hmm. That's a tough, tough, tough business to crack, especially as a as a person of color who does not have um, you know previous ties to that industry. It's it's a it's a very small, tough nut to crack. And everybody that I've mentioned that knows of my journey, not one person has said you you can't do this. You will never do this. It's always been you go. You you can do this. You will do this. You have a voice. We can't wait to hear to see what you can do. Go for it. So it's been it's been very uplifting, and I'm sure you can attest to this. Sometimes those are the days where you feel the most Ugh, what am I doing is this ever going to amount to anything you just think of your friends and family who have championed you and are in your corner or even people in the industry who are in your corner yeah. and then you also know and you see from people who have been where you are how long and how hard and how much work it takes to get there so we're, we're all doing what we can and we're all stepping in the right direction I don't think there's one path for anybody and then and this is kind of getting philosophical now but it's sad that and it's telling when you have somebody in your life who doesn't support you and that gives you a good sense of well if you don't support me what, what are you doing here Right. Who are you? We have to reevaluate what this is if you don't support my my dream. Yeah. Yeah. That was a great answer. It was very sobering. I didn't expect it to get that uh, deep um, and philosophical. Deep. Yes. <laughs> How do you celebrate when you've completed a project? It could be a lot of things. Um, usually, it'll involve having a glass of wine that night. Internally, it's just that feeling of patting yourself on the back. How do you determine when the thing is done? Are you able to make that? Are we, do- are we talking about the completion of a full project or the completion of um, a task or both? Let's start with the task. How do you conceptualize that as opposed to the whole project? Well, the whole project is either like a completed piece that you've written or a completed screenplay or whatever. So okay. those come along so few and far between that when you've, you're finished, it's such a relief. So the big project, it, you know, a celebratory glass of wine or sparkling that night, it's telling you or telling Jeff, it's just telling somebody and then getting that amazing, good job. And then not only are you feeling that for yourself, but your person or your people are telling you that. It's just that you get that feeling for yourself. You can't, it's not going to come from anybody else. It's just an internal relief and also an internal, you did that, like you wrote that thing. Authors know, we know that feeling of admiration for ourselves. I know that sounds so bizarre, but you know, like at the end of NaNoWriMo, when you finished your novel and you wrote the end, I mean, there are tears sometimes, there's relief, there's 
so many things that come with writing the end or fade out and everybody does their own thing to celebrate or to acknowledge it but like yeah it's it's an internal feeling of yeah I did this but then you also want to tell people yeah I mean you want to have a whatever you do to celebrate I mean I will have a glass of sparkling or if you want to go have a nice fancy dinner or you want to some people will buy themselves something I wrote you know, I just finished the first draft of my, the puke draft of my novel. I deserve a, a new pair of shoes or something. I think if you market some way, however you want to market, that is nice. And it's, it's a, you did it. But for the, for the little things, it's on a smaller scale too. Like, oh, I have a one sheet due on Monday. I think with the, the small things, like, oh, I have this chapter. I just finished a chapter. It's on a smaller scale. Yeah. You can be like, yeah, I did that. And now I'm going to keep going. I can have a chocolate bar or I can, I can eat, uh, we can order sushi tonight or something, little things, right? To not just motivate yourself, but to, to signal to yourself that I did the thing, I'm doing the thing. You can reward yourself and keep going. I think you need to do that. When you run out of steam and you have to push yourself forward. Yeah. Is that when you find particularly for the little tasks mm -hmm. that you have to incentivize yourself. If you finish this thing, you can have this thing. Like, do yes. you do that? Yeah. And I do that for a lot of even non-writing things too. We need to, or else what do you, what's, <laughs> that's, I find that's a life thing. You, you do something, there should be something that comes out of it. Um, yes, the feeling of job well done is a great incentive, but then you also need to reward yourself too, the little things. But yeah, for the big things, you better celebrate because those those are huge. How do you stay motivated after you've done the big thing, but before the big thing becomes a public thing? How do you stay motivated? Yeah. Mm. Between writing the draft, mm -hmm. forget the puke draft, you're on draft, I don't know, 14 or whatever. Right. And I mean, I, I only know this how this works from my own experience. So you're going to have to educate me about how that works for you. But once you've written the thing mm -hmm. and you're ready for the public to see it, mm -hmm. how do you stay motivated between that point where you're like, I'm done. The creative thing is done. It's edited. I'm, I'm happy with it. I'm now ready for you to see it. Mm -hmm. For you, what's the period of time between I'm done to I'm going to show it to somebody in the industry? Right. That's two questions. You're asking for the period of time between I'm done and showing it, or how do you keep the motivation in place? Professor, those are two questions. Okay. <laughs> it depends on the deadline, right? So if you have a deadline, then there is no break. But if you're on your own, if you're doing it for yourself, you, I mean, you're going to have to, along with whoever is your, your person or people that read for you and help you determine if it's ready, that's going to be, so it's a twofold thing. You will know when it's time and you're the people who help you with your editing and beta reading and stuff like that, they will help you. And then you will know when it's time to show it to whoever you need to show it to. Um, how do you keep yourself motivated it's an ongoing thing and for me it's an ongoing thing because I haven't had the opportunity yet to have one of my projects actually I shouldn't say that but uh in tv land it's I haven't had that opportunity yet where one of my things is going to go into production but 
I can only speak for myself. It goes in spurts and ups and downs. And sometimes the downs are really downs. But if you always, not if you, because it's not an if, you always know that it's coming, that your vision that you made up in your mind, it'll come one day. And that's, that's the motivation that it's coming. You've created it, you've put it on paper, and you need to see it through. That's hard sometimes. It's very hard sometimes. Yeah, some days are easier than others. Yeah. Let's talk about commercial success. Sure. How much does the desire for commercial success influence the projects you choose and your motivation to complete them? That's a good question. And it has, it changes the um, older you get. Uh, when I was younger, I wrote screenplays thinking, ooh, I'm going to star in them and then they're going to be made and I'm going to be famous for writing and acting in them and it's going to be all amazing. But then the older you get, you're like, this is not going to happen or at least not right now. So it, it gives you a nice breath of relief that you can just write whatever and it's if it's going to be made, it's going to be made. If it just you write it to get a door opened or to diversify your portfolio, it is what it is. And I think that's something that you learn as you just get older. Don't write something thinking that this is what's going to make you famous. Write something that you want to write, that you want to read. So in terms of writing like fiction and prose and poetry, write something that you as a kid would have wanted to read when you were older. And if you're writing for film and television, write a movie or a television show that you want, that it wasn't there for you, that you want to see that it's the story is the only story that you, Anil, or you, Abby, could write. And everything else will be gravy after because the most powerful stories are the ones that people never thought anybody else would read or see. And those are the ones that are being published or made. So write for yourself and everything else should fall into place be authentic wonderful advice yeah yeah and i it's true i think that it's easier to do that mm -hmm. and to try to write to the market because the market is so fickle right you have no idea what what's going to happen and what what's going to trend what's going to be right. popular and how long it's going to trend that's exactly like look at when uh Everybody thought vampires were over. Let's go to Stephanie Myers. Everybody thought vampires were over. And then here comes this author who writes vampire YA. And then all of a sudden, everybody's trying to write the next best-selling vampire novel or television show. Yeah. And that's when you're like, you can't jump on that bandwagon because stuff, she wrote that because she, she didn't jump on a bandwagon. That was her need to write that and that's why it came across as so authentic to her and why people really related to it so you write what you need to write and people will jump on your bandwagon after i think what people fail to realize is the timeline oh, yeah. there's the sci-fi writer who was getting a lot of flack recently for a book he wrote years ago so he writes this book about a plague I wouldn't say that it became popular again. It came to the public um, consciousness again because of COVID. Another writer, his book came out last year and it's kind of like uh, the stand kind of scenario. And the stand is back again. I know, on, I saw it. was on Prime. Right. Like, the stand was written in, I'm looking at my bookshelf as though it's sitting on the <laughs> um, the stand came out. Wasn't it the 80s? What, the, the late 80s, early yeah. 90s? Yeah. No, it was, yeah, it had to be in the late 80s. Here, I'll Google it while you're. 
And the TV show with Gary Sinise, the one that I saw that scared the life out of me, came out in 94, I think. And now here we are again. But that thing was in production prior to... Guess when The Stand came out. <laughs> Guess when it was first published, my friend. <laughs> because you laugh, I'm going to say 78. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Is that not insane? Because I read The Stand in... I want to say elementary school. That's when I my voracious Stephen King appetite emerged. Because I read... Oh, boy. I think I read Cujo when I was... <laughs> 12 far or 13 young, yeah. far too young <laughs> yeah that was yeah mm. 78 isn't that amazing well it's the same thing you were like uh, that movie contagion with when gwyneth paltrow dies of that virus that sweeps the world yes. that came out in like i'll have to google it again but years and years ago but what, as soon as covid hit it was like it trended in on yes, netflix it was, like, it was in the top 10 netflix, yeah. <laughs> the same thing there was a, a korean um thriller tv show I can't remember what it was called, but it was about a coronavirus that was sweeping the globe. Same idea. And people were like, oh, you know, with their crazy conspiracy theories, they knew. I'm like, okay. But the Dead Zone did the same storyline in 2006. So did they know too? Like everybody calm down. So to my point, people don't understand the timeline between when somebody sits down to write something and when it gets published or when it gets optioned for TV or movie or in your world, when somebody comes up with the idea for a movie or a television show to the point to when it gets scripted or picked up or even if it gets picked up, whether it gets produced or not, blah, blah, blah. Like the, the time frame is so much longer than anybody, even people like me who are just scurrying into this world who didn't like you go to school for it and and actually understand it from like an academic perspective I'm just kind of wandering in like a baby who just learned how to walk and I'm touching stuff and people are like no no no, don't don't touch that right (laughs) (laughs) when I start to understand the timeline and I have books that are published on Amazon through their Kindle Direct program And you can subscribe to folks who send you trending reports. You know, if you're going to write to market, now's the time to write this kind of thing for that. And I don't know about you, but I, I can't picture how I could learn today that by October, I need to write a book for next Valentine's Day. Mm. That's not how this brain works. Same. Like right now, inside here is a bunch of weird stuff that has absolutely nothing to do with Valentine's Day. So <laughs> I, I couldn't, and I think this might be a problem for me going forward. If, you know, I get signed, please sign me. Um, and somebody says to me, hey, Abby, I need you to write blah, blah story. And we need it by November 13th. I can only imagine having put deadlines on myself for creative mm-hmm works mm-hmm. how that would stop me in my tracks very interesting that you mentioned that because i think you and i operate the same way when we don't have that deadline looming over our heads that we, we write when we feel inspired and then sometimes oftentimes procrastination sets in but with the little gains that i've been making in the screenwriting world i find that it's the deadlines that you need them because they will rein you in and, and 
make you stop on a Saturday rearranging your kitchen cabinets and be like, you have to go to your laptop and churn out act one of this. And I think that's just the nature of the beast. Uh, You just need to buckle down and sometimes you're going to write and it's going to suck. And you just, it's like, I think as writers, we feel that we need to only write when we're inspired because that's when it's going to be the best work. But um, just sitting down and putting your fingers on that keyboard and, or just sitting there and thinking of what you're going to do or outlining what you're going to do or letting the ideas come to you. Don't feel like just sitting there and letting the ideas come to you is that's not work. Of course, that's a huge part of it or whatever creative process that you do to get your ideas, whether it's taking a long hot shower like I do or going for a walk, all that constitutes work towards this deadline that you're meeting. Mm -hmm. So yes, deadlines seem daunting, but they do help. And make them our friend. We have to make them our friend because if you make them your enemy, then you do you'll figure it out really right away because if you say you have a deadline and you leave it all to the last minute then you're going to be pulling an all-nighter like you did in high school and you're going to feel like crap and that's no fun you want to be able to you know enjoy the process you have to be your own advocate and champion and be like i need to write this for so many different reasons but chiefly for myself and you give yourself little deadlines if even if it's like I'm gonna write 500 words today give yourself little deadlines and then when you feel like you can do more like I mean a good example was when you and I did NaNoWriMo a few years ago um I was so terrified (laughs) terrified because it's like that's daily self-imposed nobody's telling us to do this You and I are supporting each other on this, but nobody's telling you to do this, no matter what comes out of your, your fingers. And I found that that exercise, because at the end of it, both you and I, and you way more than I exceeded the 50,000 words, but it made me realize that, you know what, we, we are able to give ourselves these deadlines. And that just sets you up for later when you will be agented, because you will be, but like when it'll get set you up for later when People are like, yeah, we're going to need your uh, your synopsis or your one sheet or your this by this date. And you kind of have to because you're being paid to do it and people are expecting it. So if you do it now, give yourself little deadlines and slowly build up to it. And I fully say this knowing that the bulk of us who are listening to this also have a day job and family and responsibilities and do it whenever you can and for however much you can. Even like we said, if it's just a couple hundred words a day, it's okay. Or if you can't write one day, you do it the next day and it's okay as long as you write something. Yeah. I did the math. It's 1667. That's what it was. Yeah. I remember it was some number that was very interesting. Because <laughs> I think you and I would text each other. Did you do 1667 today? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And I remember when I did it in 2018, there were days I would log on and do like 37 words. Like Mm. I'm going to write a sentence and I'm going to say, yep, that's it for me today. I got nothing in the tank. I can't even think straight, let alone try to hop into this story. And you're right. It's, it's a habit that you have to create. You have to try 
to make that commitment to yourself at the end of the day. And, and you have hit the nail directly on the head. You are doing this for yourself. You have to make that commitment to yourself because that, you know, nobody's going to do it for you as much as I call you to complain and be like, what have I done? How have I gotten myself into this? Okay. Yeah. I got myself into the, got myself into this quotation marks, but, uh, you know, at the heart of it, you certainly wouldn't do this to yourself. Of course not. <laughs> Love it. Can you imagine? Oh my goodness. How many times have I come? Mm. I don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. What am I doing? Whose idea was this? <laughs> 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 there are moments. I, I've had those, those moments very, very recently. I'm like, what have I done? But then I, I come to my friends and I say, you know, what have I done? And you guys give me a nice shake and I'm like, oh yeah, I like this. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have to remember at the end of the day, we, we like this. We like this. <laughs> we do? Yes. Yes, we do. Oh yeah, we do. <laughs> the beauty of our industry and by the time you're in a writer's room, hopefully, and I'm sure this is for most people, you you're doing the thing that you love and you're doing it with other people who love it mm-hmm. and you're all collaborating on this one idea that you all are very much invested in so i think as writers as artists you're so much ahead of the game by the time you get to a writer's room mm-hmm. because you're all like-minded artists so it's not like and i don't want to throw any other industry under the bus but i'll just if you're in a a boring accounting meeting you have to go over a spreadsheet and I'm not any accountant that is listening to this I respect you 100,000% I'm going to need you in the future but I'm just saying say a non-accountant is an accountant because their parents made them and you're doing a spreadsheet for some really tough thing I don't know I don't know anything about numbers and you don't really want to do it obviously you're going to not it's not there my analogy is completely terrible but because we're already writing we're not writing because somebody's forcing us. Nobody has been, I'm hoping nobody in the history of literature and writing has been, who forces somebody to write? No parent is like, oh, I want you to be a writer someday because they, your parents know that it's, it's such a tough industry to do. You're doing it because you love it. So yeah. by the time you get to collaborate and work with other people in this industry that you've all dreamt up in your mind, it's such a huge win already. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. On your show, for example, when it gets greenlit. Yes. <laughs> like that environment. Oh my God. I can't even imagine the writer's room for whatever show that I get greenlit. It's going to be so, f- I'm going to make it fun because it's going to be freaking amazing. And wow. Can you imagine? I can't even imagine how fun yeah, it's going to be. You get to pop in every once in a while. I'll be, yeah. I'll be like, what's going on in here? <laughs> I'll give you the Zoom coordinates because yes. we'll probably still be in pandemic mode by then. Yes, please. <laughs> Who's this? This is Abby. <laughs> Who wants to just join on the fun? Yeah, I'm going to be on mute and um, with my camera off, I'll just be on <laughs> Just ignore me. It's fine. <laughs> I'm certainly glad that you have extended your, your brain to me. When I finish something and I can say, okay, can you look at this? And after I'm done tearing it to shreds, then you can tear it to shreds. And then we can talk about that contextualizing element that 
we're going to we're going to deal with craft sure we're going to deal with the technical stuff sure but also that overarching storytelling aspect of craft where you as as anyone who knows me knows I tend to go down these rabbit holes and and off on these tangents and segues how to kind of bring me back if I've done that in my story and uh it's really important to have people like that in my life and I'm glad that that you are one of those people and who can do it with a pen or your laptop and like gigantic red slashes through big sentences and paragraphs that, you know, initially hurts my feelings. However, you know, I'm kidding. (laughs) That's probably the teacher in me. I don't know when I was, I don't know, this is a segue. uh, I don't know how you used to feel, but remember when we were in school and we got to mark our other, our, our neighbor's, test like spelling or whatever I used to love taking that I guess it was a red pen and then just doing the check mark or the x I I must have had a teacher that did beautiful check marks where the pen flicks at the bottom of the v of the check and then the pen just kind of kisses the page so the the trace of the pen gets a bit lighter and it's like the perfect check mark I think I used to do that with that not on something with marking but just like try to get that perfect check mark and yeah that's probably telling a lot about how I like to edit <laughs> but I like it but you know what and that and that's good and it's it's very telling that you like it but, but that you're not just there to decimate somebody's work and I I think that that's important I couldn't imagine doing this well I mean I know I've said this to you a thousand times so I'm going to say it to you again I couldn't imagine doing this without you like I just I I wouldn't have gone down this road again. Certainly not the way that I have, had I not met you. Mm. So thank you for that. My pleasure. And I feel the same. When I first moved to Toronto, I didn't really know anybody that I could talk shop with. Uh, Not only that, but like truly, truly understand what it means because it's such a solitary world we all know that as writers we do have this community but at the end of the day it's just you and your fingers and your laptop and your brain and it's it's this very solitary thing so when I let you know that I was studying uh, I was doing my MFA and you let me know that writing has always been something that you've aspired to but yet put it on the back burner I it, it ignited a flame within me so much so that I was like you need to start writing you need to continue with this dream and then you just ran with it and look how far you've come like look at where we are right now so I think that's fantastic and that I played a little part in your journey to to here it's uh it's humbling it means a lot and I can't wait to see what we both come up with in the future it's going to be amazing it's going to be amazing I have a lot of I have a lot of faith in us Thank you for this. This was a really great conversation. Mm-hmm. This was so much fun. Uh, thanks for inviting me. Thank you for listening to the second part of my chat with the Anil Kamal. Be sure to check out and follow Anil on his socials at the Anil Kamal on both Twitter and Instagram. You can find the links in the podcast description. And visit a fine local book retailer if you can. I understand that it's COVID times and it might be a little bit difficult. But if you can get out there and 
patronize one of your local book dealers and pick up a copy of Fashionably Late, the anthology that Anil's story is in, it would make a wonderful addition to your home library. Thanks for stopping by, and I wish you a fantastic day.